It's great to have you here if this is your church and it's been your church for your whole life, or if this is your first time here, welcome. It's awesome to be here with you. Uh, my name is Isaac, if you don't know me. I work with the youth here uh, at Richmond Anglican, and it's my pleasure uh, to be able to speak with you this morning, and I hope that by the end of the service that our love and our affection for Jesus will be greater than when we walked in the door only a few short moments ago. Uh, Over the last month or so, we have been going through Mark's Gospel at Richmond Anglican, Um, and this account of the Gospel by Mark starts with a bold declaration. You you can turn there if you want, verse 1, chapter 1. In the first sentence of this book, Mark declares that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah and the Son of God. Now today we're actually been jumping to the end of Mark, as you saw in our reading, um, to Mark's account of Christ's crucifixion. And we're actually going to be focusing on that same bold declaration that Mark makes right at the beginning of the book, but we're going to be focusing on it, from, and it comes from someone who it's quite unlikely that it came from. On Good Friday, uh, we remember, we celebrate, we mourn Jesus' death, and what it means for us, and we think about our response to the cross. Today, over the next, I guess, 20 minutes or so, we're going to be really examining together one man's response to Jesus, his response to the cross. We're going to be looking at the centurion that you see in verse 39. He was with Jesus in his final hours at the foot of the cross, And when Jesus cried, it is finished, the centurion proclaimed, we see in verse 39, he says, surely this man was the son of God. So what did the centurion see? What did he know? What did he hear that led him to say with full confidence, surely this man is the son of God? Now, before we get to that, we need to back up a little bit. We don't actually know what a centurion is. Now, in our army, we don't have centurions these days. Maybe there's another word for them. So a centurion was a Roman military officer. Uh, A centurion was in command of a hundred other soldiers. If you are into um, linguistics, maybe you can see where the name comes from, centurion. Um, And so a centurion, a hundred other soldiers, had great power, great responsibility, and they were actually placed in Israel, in Jerusalem, by the, Rome, by the Roman officials to kind of keep control. They were kind of the police of Jerusalem. They would crush Jewish rebellion and keep them all in line. So the Roman centurion it would have been a hardened soldier. Uh, he was stationed at the bottom of the cross. Um, he had probably presided over hundreds, if not thousands, of other crucifixions. He would have seen countless men nailed to crosses and die before his eyes. He would have become hardened to the agony and to the pain of crucifixion. He's seen it all before. He would have heard the pleads of mercy from criminals. He would have heard the cries of excruciating pain. He would have heard the curses from those on the cross. So this man, our centurion in verse 39, he's no stranger to pain, to death, to humiliation, to agony. Roman soldiers, they would be present all throughout the trial and crucifixion of criminals. They would keep the peace, ensure the process runs smoothly. This centurion uh, was probably with Jesus when he was tried by Pilate. He was probably with Jesus when they rammed a crown of thorns into his skull. 
He was probably there when Jesus was insulted, mocked, and beaten. But it wasn't merely the pain, the brutality, the humiliation, the agony of Jesus' crucifixion that led him to declare that surely this man is the Son of God, because he knew all about that. He's seen all that before. So what was different about this time? What about the manner, the lead-up to Jesus' death brought this hardened Roman soldier, a Gentile, a pagan, not a Jew, to radically, boldly, confidently exclaim, surely this man was the Son of God. What did he see? Now, I've been praying and reading over this passage, and the Lord has kind of guided me, I think, to three main things that the centurion sees, hears, and knows that leads him to make that bold declaration in verse 39. Three things that are strange, that are unusual, that are unique about this crucifixion compared to the countless others he's seen before. Firstly, the centurion would have heard about Jesus, what he had supposedly done and the allegations about him. The centurion and the Roman soldiers, as I said before, they acted as the police in Jerusalem. He would have heard about Jesus arriving on a donkey. There would have been great, great um, acclaim when Jesus arrives on Palm Sunday, people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest as he rides in. The centurion, he would have been present in the city in the week before and at the trials of Jesus, at the cross and everywhere in between, he would have heard about the allegations against Jesus. He would have heard about the things that Jesus supposedly did. He would have heard about the things that Jesus supposedly said. He may have not believed them at that point, but he would have heard about them. He would have known that Jesus was accused of being king of the Jews. Not only did Pilate ask him this, in um, verse 2 of this chapter, but it was actually written above Jesus' cross. We say that in verse 26. The centurion knew about this allegation, the king of the Jews. The centurion, he would have understood that the Jews wanted Jesus to die because he claimed to be God and he committed, in their eyes, blasphemy. The centurion would have known that Pilate found no fault in Jesus. Have a look at verse 14. Pilate didn't receive an answer when he asked, what crime has he committed? He didn't receive an answer. Have a look at verse 16. Mark says that the whole company of soldiers mocked him. They were called together, they put a crown of thorns on Jesus, put a purple robe on him and mocked him, beat him, jokingly called out, hail king of the Jews. Now, the centurion would have at least known that this was happening, or perhaps he even participated in it. It says the whole company of soldiers. The centurion knew about Jesus' claim to deity. He knew about the charges brought against him. He knew why the Jews wanted to execute him. And he knew that Jesus was sent off to be crucified, in verse 20. So like we looked at before, the centurion would have been used to crucifixion with criminals perhaps murderers, but the crucifixion of a man without charge, that would have been unusual to this centurion. So that's our first thing. The centurion knew about Jesus, his claims, and his rejection by the Jews. Secondly, 
the centurion saw Jesus' own response to the brutality, the agony, the humiliation of crucifixion. The centurion, he's seen hundreds, if not thousands of crucifixions before. This is his day job. He would have been familiar with the agony, the pain, the sorrow, the humiliation of a cross. So what was different about this crucifixion that led him to make that bold declaration in verse 39? Imagine you're there, in the back of your minds are the allegations against Jesus, the stories about him. And I think the centurion would have been dumbfounded with how Jesus responds to the crucifixion, to the pain, to the agony, compared to everyone else he's witnessed. In verse 4 of Mark 15, we see that Jesus did not give an answer when Pilate laid out the accusations against him. It says that Pilate was amazed that he did not defend himself. The centurion would have been amazed at that too, the soldiers that were there. He doesn't even defend himself. There's no legitimate charge. He doesn't even defend himself. The centurion would have seen or heard, or like we looked at before, maybe even participated in the mocking of Jesus. They beat him. They threw stuff at him. And he would have heard, this centurion, he would have heard that Jesus didn't resist. That would have been strange. He didn't resist. He just accepted it. An innocent man. In Luke's gospel, we read about the rebels on either side of Jesus. Jesus on the cross, he doesn't curse, although he's there for no charge. He doesn't curse. He doesn't resist. Instead, he weathers the mocking of one of the prisoners. And the other prisoner, as he is on the cross, Jesus, an innocent man who has no charge, in extraordinary agony, what does he do? He speaks with grace and mercy to a broken criminal on the other side of him. Next to him on the cross, for this centurion, this would have been crazy to see this innocent man not cursing, but actually offering grace and mercy to a broken criminal beside him as he is literally dying there. He offers this criminal the promise of eternal life while he is on the cross. He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. How shocking this must have been to the centurion. Jesus on the cross, he's dying a slow, agonizing, painful death with no legitimate charge against him. And what does he do? He extends grace and mercy and the offer of eternal life to a legitimate criminal beside him. The centurion understands there's no charge or accusations that are legitimate against Jesus. He has seen Jesus be mocked, beaten, and scorned. He sees Jesus responding to this grave injustice with obedience, humility, and grace. And then Jesus, I think, says the most extraordinary thing, at least it would have been to the centurion, whilst hanging on the cross. The centurion, he's at the bottom of the cross, he's within earshot, and Jesus says, as he's hanging there, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The centurion, he would have been shocked, amazed, confused. Who is this man? The centurion must be wondering. 
a perfect man with no legitimate charge or accusation who embraces the agony of crucifixion with grace and humility who asks God to forgive those who are doing this to him. Who is this man? Maybe at this point the centurion is thinking, huh, maybe this man is the son of God. The centurion, he sees Jesus' response to his crucifixion and was amazed, confronted, confused, confused and dumbfounded when he saw how Jesus responded to it. That's our second thing. And thirdly, the centurion witnesses the power of God when darkness fell over the land, when the earthquake shook the ground. So I want you to imagine you are the centurion. Remember, you've heard about Jesus, the allegations against him, his entry into Jerusalem, maybe even stories about his miracles, his claim to deity. You are present at his trial, but there's no legitimate charge. Yet Jesus is still mocked by the soldiers, he's scorned by the soldiers, he's beaten by the soldiers, and he is crucified. And you see an extraordinary response as the centurion at the bottom of the cross. You see an extraordinary response that Jesus has to this injustice. He takes it with grace, mercy, humility, and in perfect obedience. He asks for the forgiveness of those persecuting and crucifying him when he is literally dying in pain and agony on the cross. He offers the promise of eternal life to a legitimate criminal right beside him. With that in your mind as the centurion, darkness covers the land for three hours from 12 p.m., it says. The wrath of God is poured out on Jesus on the cross. Maybe the centurion, maybe he was nervous and his other soldiers, they were nervous at this point, curious, afraid when this supernatural darkness came about. The centurion sees creation groaning over the death of its creator. And for three hours, the centurion, he waits in darkness. Then at 3 p.m., we read in verse 33, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? And with a loud cry, Jesus breathes his last. And it's at this point, at this point, the centurion makes his bold proclamation when he sees how Jesus dies. Surely, the centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. The centurion, he knew about the allegations, the stories, the accusations against Jesus He would have heard about the rumors, the whispers, the stories of Palm Sunday only a few days ago. The centurion, he saw Jesus' response to his horrific crucifixion. The horror and agony of the crucifixion wouldn't have shocked Jesus. Sorry, wouldn't have shocked the centurion. But he would have been amazed at Jesus' perfect obedience, humility, grace, and mercy. The centurion saw the power of God when darkness fell over the land. He sees the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus, the creation groaning over the death of its creator. And when Jesus breathes his last, when he cries, it is finished, the centurion, a pagan, a hardened soldier, a Gentile, proclaims, surely this man is the son of God. 
Mark's gospel starts with that bold, huge claim in verse 1 of chapter 1, that Jesus is divine, that he is the Son of God, and that he is the Messiah, the Christ. And Mark's gospel ends with the same bold declaration, but from an unlikely source, a pagan, a soldier, a centurion, who has seen the evidence of Jesus' life, death, and crucifixion, and comes to the conclusion that surely this man was the Son of God. Well, we also know about Jesus. We understand the allegations against him. We actually have a much fuller picture of Jesus, of his life, his miracles, his claims. We have the four Gospels to read that are really, really historically true, and we can read everything about Jesus' life. We understand Jesus, what he was about, his stories. The centurion didn't have that much of a fuller picture as we do. We also know about the agony of crucifixion. If you were here last night, we had a service, and we did some creative things around the property, and we looked at nails, the type of nails that would have gone through hands and ankles. If you were at that station last night, you would agree with me that that would have, I don't know how anyone didn't pass out when that happened to them. Big nails. The agony of crucifixion, the humiliation and pain of such a death. And we know what Jesus' response to it is. We know about his humility, his grace, his offer of salvation to the prisoner on the cross, And we too, just like the centurion, can marvel and be amazed when Jesus asks God for the sins of those crucifying him to be forgiven. I definitely was amazed as I was reading through this passage, thinking about it. We also know about God's power. We know more than the centurion, in fact. We know that the curtain in the temple was split in two, that the barrier between God and man was broken, We know that darkness covers the lands, the earthquakes, and we also see God's power today in our lives, in our church's lives, in our family, and in our world. We see God's power, and we know that creation was groaning at the death of its creator. And when the centurion, a hardened soldier, a pagan, when the centurion sees this, he exclaims, surely This man was the son of God. Well, when we see the exact same things, actually we see more, we have a fuller picture of Jesus, what do we say? So this Good Friday and this Easter, put yourself at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. See Jesus hanging there, naked, covered in blood, with his skin ripped from the beating and his hands and feet pierced by the nails. Remember, he subjected himself to such excruciating pain to pay the price for all our sins. Watch with the centurion this Easter and see the man, Jesus of Nazareth, hanging on the cross. Hear him speak his last words and watch him take his last breath and surrender his spirit to God the Father. And then let's join with the centurion this Easter and boldly proclaim, surely this man is the son of God. If we do make such a bold declaration as the centurion did, 
the divinity of a man who died on a cross so that the wrath of God is not taken out on us, but on him. If we come to that conclusion, as we should, that surely this man is the son of God, then this must also have a profound, life-changing impact on us and our lives. So what a good Friday it is indeed. The Savior is here, and the offer of salvation is not only for the Jews, but for hardened soldiers, convicted criminals, centurions, and us too. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, it's really hard to put into words um, how thankful we are that you sent Jesus, that you so loved the world, you so loved us, that you sent Jesus to die for us. We thank you for your grace, Father. We thank you that your wrath was not poured out on us, but was poured out on Jesus, the only sacrifice we need. We thank you that this sacrifice uh, is for everyone, Lord. We thank you that this sacrifice is not only for the Jews, but for Gentiles, for criminals, and everyone in this building today. And I pray, Lord, that this Easter and throughout our lives, we will be able to boldly declare, like the centurion, that surely this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Son of God. And Lord, I pray that once we've made that declaration in faith, I pray that that will have a massive impact on our lives, in how we see the world, in how we treat others, and how we spend our time revering and worshipping you. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen.